Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor podcast brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Tashinga Vekera, a part-time attorney and a full-time YouTuber. Enjoy this truly fascinating conversation. Tashinga, yes. welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Well, thank you. So, I decided that I w- we needed to have this conversation for a number of reasons. A lot of young people who are overseas, mm. um, and, and, and some adults who are overseas, usually call me and say, Trevor, is it safe to come home? And I say, it's always been safe. Mm. It's tough. Uh, come back home and let's work and make it what we want it to be. Um, and so people say, but oh no, I'm, I'm going to wait until it's okay. Um, you decided in 2018 mm. to come back home. Yeah. Why? At the time, I think to understand why I came back, you need to understand how I grew up. So let's go there. I was born. In Marondera, Kwashoshi, my mom was 18 when she had me, stayed in Nagogo for a bit, but then when she started working, we traveled so much. So most of my life, I spent it abroad. So lived in South Africa, lived in Singapore, lived in the UK, Kenya, etc. And people would always ask, what does your dad do? And I'm like, no, it's my mom. Um, and after being away for so long, I was tired of being away. And it never felt like home. You know, you always feel like you have to kind of prove yourself or work against some stereotype or the other. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go home and at least work on being an attorney in my country. And if it doesn't work out, I have the option to go back to what I was doing before and move. Uh, Came back home. It was, you know. Let's, Let's press the pause button there because you just said quite a lot of stuff mm. um, that I want us to, 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 to unpack. You are away, you got educated, you got qualified, but you didn't fit. You, no. felt, you felt you were not settled. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Uh, we, we, th- there's a sense that the diaspora is all what we all need to be aspiring for. Milk and but, honey. Exactly. But talk to me about that you feel you're a misfit. You've got the education. You still want to come home. Talk to me about that sense prior to you jumping onto the plane. What are you going through? I think there's not enough that is said about being in a place with people who are like you and how much that affects just your mood, your way of being, your outlook on life, and ultimately your happiness. Um, I can't knock being in the diaspora because, yes, there are opportunities. But at the same time, I don't think the happiness factor can be compared to when you're at home. And that was really a, a driving I, I, I don't want us to knock being in the diaspora. Mm. I want us to describe being in the diaspora, what it is that you're longing for, mm. what it is that you don't have. 
So we're not knocking it. We, no. I've been in the diaspora myself yeah. for 18 years. Um, so I want, I want to, for us to help people that are out there thinking of packing their bags to go into the diaspora, help people out there in the diaspora thinking of coming back home, mm -hmm. using your lived experience. Talk to me about what it's like. You're describing what it's like wanting to come back home mm -hmm. to people that are like you. But before we do that, I want us to talk about being out there, what it feels like, what it is that you don't have, what you need, what you crave for. I would say it feels like working towards living your life at some point in the future. It feels like I will work hard right now so that in the future I can do this. And you're grinding on a day-to-day -day basis and there's no real breathing room or just the feeling of being settled. I think that, you know, it feels temporary most of the time. Mm. Um, and that is what then drives the wanting of being home. But the people, feeling of being there is People just, have spoken about loneliness. Yes. And not belonging. Has that been your experience? Um, I felt that at some point because... Yes, I was in uni or I was working and it would be other African people. And there is a sense of commonality in that, but maybe not as many Zimbabweans. And you want to be with your people as well. Um, it's, it's, it's something I've experienced not only through myself, but because so many, like most of us, of my family members are also there. And even in just the way of life, you become ships in the night. You barely see each other, even though you live in a 15-kilometer radius of each other. Because when you're doing night shift, I'm doing day shift. When you're doing weekend, I'm doing... And you're constantly in go, go, go mode. And that part is where you just need to mm -hmm. settle down and bring it back. I'll tell you, um, it, so we just move home. Let's get into the plane and come home. <laughs> um, I said to people a number of times that there's a certain joy I feel when the plane touches down in Harare or in Bulawayo and I'm in the airport. I feel a certain connection. I can't describe it to you. You know, it would take me a PhD thesis to do that. But there's a certain, I come alive. I feel something in me that I don't usually experience when I'm, when I'm away. Then I get out of the airport then reality hits, then the potholes, and then the rubbish and everything else. Mm -hmm. But I'm still happy to be back home. Talk to me about your experience. Well, it's the same. It's like being in a house with leaking toilets, but it's your house. Mm -hmm. And you want to be there and not be a visitor at someone else's house saying, please, might go to the toilet. Yeah. It's that just, it's the comfort of it all. Yeah. Um, I won't lie. Obviously, I used to visit a lot when I was still away. And coming to Zim would always feel like going back in time a little bit. But you start to appreciate that feeling a bit. Mm. You, you, you hit a big hump, a big portal when you came in. Mm. You've, quali you've qualified as a lawyer. You couldn't get a job um, in London uh, or you, you couldn't have a visa to allow you to do stuff. Mm. Describe to us the experience of why you left the UK in terms of professional-wise and then coming here and trying to do the right thing to practice as an attorney. So when I left the UK, right, um, I had 
in my mind, done everything right. Like, I'm the top student. I do my work experience. Like, I'm ticking all the boxes, right? Um, And then I just wasn't able to get a training contract. It was at this time where everyone and their grandmother is also trying to be a lawyer. The the competition was so stiff. um, And now, instead of having three years to get a job in the UK, you had three months after your exams. And then after that, you can't have a visa. So I'm literally stuck because my idea and my life trajectory had meant I'm going to qualify as a lawyer in the UK and work in the UK. Mm. So that got disrupted. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go qualify and be a lawyer in Zim. Came to Zim. And then the pothole was bigger than not being able to qualify in the UK. It took me since 2018 till... um, 2021, Mm. yeah, and I only got registered this year in order for me to be able to write my exams and do all that red tape to just be able to be registered. And it really knocked me off. So you start off by the um, Law Society or the examination yeah, the CLE, the Council for Legal Education. Requires you to write an exam. Mm. Uh, talk to us about that process. So you have to write, well, since I was coming from the UK, I had to write eight exams. Um, you have to apply to write the exams. Um, unfortunately, when I had come, there'd been a new essay saying people from the UK have to be approved to write the exams. That approval took two years for me to get to be allowed to write the exams. And then a year after that, that's Why when... Why does the approval take two years to come through? Well, it, it, you know, I would be the last person to know. Most people come as soon as they apply, but it was just one of those things where you were continuously being told to go to the next person or the next person. And it was such a frustrating um, thing to go through because I'm thinking, oh, I really just want to write these exams and start my life. Um, so only after two years was I allowed to write the exams and lo and behold, we're in 2020 now and it's COVID and you don't know when you're going to write your exams. It could be next week. It could be three months from now, but you have to prepare like it might be tomorrow. So it was just a hectic time, um, managed to write the exams, uh, passed after two tries, so I had eight exams, wrote eight the first time, failed four. I thought I was superwoman. (laughs) wrote the other four the second time passed them uh, and then this year in April got registered Hmm. I I watched a video uh, clip Um, shall we play? so the year was 2018 that's when I came to Zim and the reason I came to Zim was because I hadn't been able to get a job in the UK so if you guys um, have been on my channel for a while you know that that's where I did my LLB and my LLM and my LPC (laughs) I will never not brag on that, okay? That is my biggest flex. So I did my studies in the UK, but I wasn't able to get a training contract in time before my visa expired. So then I went to SA because my mom lives in SA. And I told my mom, I said, no, in order for me to prosper and to be able to move easier i need to be registered as a legal practitioner somewhere so the best place to me in my mind was in zim because i wouldn't be worried about like do i have a visa this this that and the other 
Boom. The way that the process works in Zim, if you have done your degree or your LLB anywhere outside of Zim or anywhere outside of the designated list of universities in Zim that they have, um, then you have to write what's called conversion exams. Previously, conversion exams were overlooked, administrated by the Law Society of Zimbabwe. However, in more recent times, there's a body called the CLE, the Council for Legal Education, and they're responsible for conversion exam contexts. Ideally, I was going to write it in one sitting. Okay. I'm like, maximum two, and I'll be done. Straightforward, right? Wrong. <laughs> Who did you think you were? So I put in my application to be able to write conversions in 2018. Okay, I want you to keep the dates in mind so that you can understand the, the about damn time of where I'm coming from. So I put in the application in 2018. At that point, the CLE was telling me that there's just been this new SI that's been passed, which says that if you studied in the UK, then you can't automatically be allowed to write conversions, not even automatically be put in as a legal practitioner in Zim. No, you can't automatically be allowed to write conversions. Stay with me. So after you put in your application and then there's all these back and forth forms with your uni, the board, the CLE board has to sit and review all the applications of people who came from the UK and then say whether or not they can write conversions. When it comes to the examinations themselves, there's only two sittings a year. I believe they're in June and November. I might be getting it wrong because I wrote during COVID. So the timelines there were, what is a timeline? Okay. Anyways, I'm moving, I'm moving ahead. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I put in the application 2018 when I came here, which was about July 2018. I put in the application. August, September, October, November. I'm checking up to be like, has the board set? Has the board set? Then they say, no, they're only going to sit next year, January. And I'm like, cool. January come through. Has the board set? Has the board set? No, they might sit in June, July. Might. After about a year and a half, okay, of no, the board hasn't sat yet. The board hasn't sat yet. I'm like, yo. I was just going through the frustration at that point. And also, that's when um, Ningi Ningi must go. <laughs> that's when Ningi Ningi must go was trending on Twitter. And so I was just frustrated and I happened to tweet about my journey thus far to say, yo, I have all these qualifications, but I can't even work in my own country as a lawyer because these people have been telling me that the board has to sit for the past one and a half years. And my life has literally been on hold because the way that it works, if you're not yet registered as a legal practitioner, you can't officially work. Like you can work, say, as an intern and you get a special letter from the law society allowing you to work for a specific law firm. But you're not, you're not registered. You're not qualified. So you, you, you move from one office to the other. You think you've done everything, but you're still being... I, I like the way you describe in the clip that we've, that we've played, that you, you're made to feel like you don't know what you're doing. Mm. You're made to feel like you are begging. 
Mm. Um, and you're told to come tomorrow to go to the other office and that kind of stuff. Like I said, it reminds me of a book by Charles Dickens where you move from one, you, 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 you're thrown from pillar to post and all you're looking for is to get a stamp mm. because without, without that stamp, you'll not be able to do anything. Talk to us about that experience for you. It's, it's crippling. Um, it's one of those things where you feel like my life can't start without this. Mm. And again, I've done everything right. I've done my part. Um, but you feel knocked back because of other forces that are completely out of your control. It's just, it's paralyzing, really. What did that do to you? It was the biggest confidence knock I've ever experienced um, because I had always pride, like my identity was based on the fact that I'm an overachiever. My identity was based on the fact that I'm an A student and I'm always the best. And when you feel like you're not the best anymore, especially after you come out of school, I don't think there's enough that's said about getting into the real world and realizing you're not the best. Yeah, yeah. And how you have to grow into and from that. They don't do classes on no. that. And you can't get an A for that. No. Um, so it was just a big confidence knock. Particularly, uh, Tash, I'm going to call you Tash, uh, because I've got a godchild whose goddaughter is Tashinga Tash. Uh, particularly when you've come home, mm. you'd expect that people will open doors for you mm. and and throw you know stuff uh, to celebrate you. But you 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 hit these big bumpers. Mm. Do you get tempted? Let me go back where I came from. Yeah. 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 And and the only thing I think probably in the past year it's been less so, but the year prior to that. Um, prior to me getting my registration, I literally told my husband, I was like, I'm done. Mm. I'm not going to be here anymore. Are you coming? Because I'm going. <laughs> what does he say? And he's so supportive. And he'll be like, yeah, sure. If you find something, then we'll go and do that. And I'm like, you know, I don't have anything. We're just going. <laughs> but I think that's the advantage of having a calming energy. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm an yeah. extrovert. I'm yeah. very out there. Yeah. Um, so I kind of calmed down and I was like, okay, what can I control? Because I don't want to go into the uncertainty of being there either. But at some point it felt better than the certainty mm. of doing nothing here. Wow. That's painful. Mm. You, you, for me, what I found um, interesting was the fact that you've lived in a number of countries. You've experienced difference. Uh, you've experienced culture shocks. Was this culture shock yeah. the worst? Um, not the worst, but unexpected because it's my culture. Yeah. Like, why am I getting shocked by my own culture? Um, it, it was just um, not what I expected. Mm. I somewhat expected it because people do speak about, oh, things in Zim are like this, et cetera. And when you're a bit removed from it, 
you're like, is it really that bad? Mm. I mean, it's bad for everyone. Mm. I have my own issues here. Um, but it's a different, it's a different difficulty. What did you expect, Tasha? I expected that if you pull yourself by your bootstraps and you do what you're supposed to do, it will work right. I expected that when things go wrong, it's because you haven't done something. And that's not, that's not always the case. And I think that's a narrative that's pushed by a lot of people, that you're the reason why your life is like this. And sure, for maybe like 80%, yes. But there's, there's something that has to be said about how the externals can really mm. affect how, whether or not you can do anything mm. about it. But you did something about it because this year you were uh, registered as, a, as, as an attorney. Yeah. Um, so you did something. That goes to say you can do something and change your circumstances. Any pushback from you on that? Yes. Um, I Please think go ahead. It's, yeah. I'm, I can't speak for everyone. Um, but in terms of me and my demographic, I'm very privileged, Trevor. Like I was able to do exams without needing to worry about work because prior to my husband supporting me, my mom supported me. It's a very unique position that not a lot of, even other people in the same exam hall as you are making these sacrifices to go from Bulawayo to come and write exams. And they're thinking to themselves, I don't even know if I'm going to write now. Like, what do I do? Um, there were certain things that I had the luxury of not having to think about that allowed me to still have the energy to persevere. When... And I, like I say, I can't speak for everyone, but I think that when certain things happen, I can't also negate the way how I live my life gives me an advantage in being able to continue pushing forward. I hear you. So, ta-da, congratulations. Thank you. You are now... <laughs> Finally. <laughs> You're now an attorney. How does it yeah. feel like? Not what I expect. <laughs> I feel like we'll do like this show will be not what I expected. With Don't know what it's be, yeah. Um, it's really not because I thought that once I get it, it'll be like yes. Now I'll have all the jobs in the world. They'll be looking for me, um, and that was not the case either. So it was really hard trying to find a job, get a job, something that's well paying or at least you know reasonably paying because. Mm. You know, it, even within the legal fraternity, like it's difficult getting a job or getting a job that compensates at anything that looks livable. Mm. Um, so that was also difficult. And then at some point I was like, do I really want to be a lawyer anymore? Mm. So you, you're dealing with that question. Yeah. And, and what's the conclusion to that, to that question? It's yes and no. Yes and no. Yeah, that's why I do it part-time attorney full-time YouTuber. I think I want to do it under my own terms. So you're doing part-time. Just just explain to us your, the, the, the part-time attorney uh, bit that you're doing. So I'm actually a consultant for um, this um, transaction advisory firm called Emerging Africa. And I do part-time consultancy with them. And it's not 
strictly legal. It's more so transaction mm -hmm. and commercial. So I'm not restricted to just being a lawyer because also I think for me to be, you know, I'm not the typical lawyer. I go in with my big hair and my nose rings and people are like, who, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, but I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided that consultancy is better for me and I'd rather pursue my passion of being a YouTuber. Mm -hmm. We will get to the YouTuber bit, which is very important. Um, but I want us to go to the beginning. Um, which schools did you go to? Primary school. I want us, you to walk us through that phase of your life. Jeez, I started at Green Cross Nursery School. Went to Avondale Primary School. Went to Gateway Primary School. Um, went to Kyle Prep School boarding in Mashingo. Um, then I moved away to South Africa, went to St. Mary's DSG. And then I moved to Singapore, went to the German European School of Singapore. And then... You did an IB there. Yeah. Okay. Tell me, why did you decide to do an IB? At the time, it was deemed the hardest thing you can do. And if you're successful at it, people in the job market would be like, ooh, you did the IB, mm -hmm. come on in. Has it worked like that? Not what I expected, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, which is why I ask these questions, because I, I think not what I expected is the theme of life. Mm. And here's the difference. The difference is when you embrace not why, what I expected and turn it into what you want it to be. Exactly. So it wasn't what I expected, but I have, in certain instances, used it to my advantage. Because it's, it's, when I saw it, I was like, wow, okay, this is the real thing. Mm. And then after that, after doing your IB in Singapore, what else did you do? Then I went to uni in the UK. So I did my LLB uh, at the University of Sussex. And then I did my master's in IT and intellectual property law at the same university. And then I went to London to do law school at uh, BPP. And why law in the first instance? So you do your IB in Singapore. What attracted you to law? What influenced you? What inspired you? It's, um, <laughs> I don't know if you want the real answer. I want the real answer. I want the real answer. <laughs> so I was watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy at that time. Wow. And I was like, it's either I'm going to be a surgeon or I'm going to be a lawyer. And, you know, when you have those career advisory classes and then they say to be a surgeon, it's going to take you 12 years. To be a lawyer, you can do it in four. I was like, lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, the real answer, the real actual, as we say, is says we draw our inspiration from so many places. And it's important that we be careful about what draws our attention because... Mm -hmm. That's where our inspirations come from. So there you are. Grey's anatomy leads you to becoming, um, to, to wanting to go into, into law. And then what about specialization, the digital, the technology bit? Where does it come from? Is that, is it, what draws you to that? Whilst I was in law, I think there was a part of me that felt like I don't think I'm supposed to be a traditional lawyer. Um, 
And then I thought to myself, how do I carve out a niche for myself within this thing that I've already started doing? Um, my mom is paying for uni fees. I'm here for four years already. And now I'm deciding maybe I don't want to be a lawyer. No, I will find out what can I do within law that will be my niche. And then right. that's when it came to IT and intellectual property law. Because I've always been more of a creative. Mm. And that seemed to me like a way of joining the two worlds together. Mm. You know, again, when I was looking at that, I'm like, this is a young person that people throughout the world, corporate should be running for. This is talent that is. You talent, <laughs> Um, I am attracted to your dissertation topic, um, General Data Protection Regulation, um, GDPR, and the right to be forgotten. Talk to me about, as succinctly as possible, mm. your key findings, because that's an interesting area. We, a lot of us would want to be forgotten. A lot of us would want mm. to get our data back and that kind of stuff. What have been your findings? What, what are the lessons that you'd want to share with our viewers out there? So when I was doing that dissertation, I wanted to specialize in the GDPR. And that's when it had literally just uh, was about to be passed. Um, and then in doing my research, it's there, the right to be forgotten really struck to me because what it speaks to is when you have certain information on the internet that is outdated or untrue. And right now the world we live in is so internet-based that your per your persona on the internet becomes the person you are in life. And if it's inaccurate or if it's outdated information that's out there about you, it's influencing how you're perceived, the jobs you can get, etc. So what the right to be forgotten speaks to is giving people the right to get that kind of information back. Of course, there's certain limits as to when you can, but it's more so just giving, having that right to be able to. And my findings at the end of it was, for me personally, I felt like the right to be forgotten should be declared like an internet, like an internet human right. Human and right. there should be internet human rights that are trans-border and do not work in terms of whatever constitution you're working with in this mm. situation because mm. the internet is just so interconnected and borderless. I feel like there should be an internet human rights. I agree with you. I agree <laughs> Thank with you. you. Because we're living in, in, in the internet age, isn't it? And yeah. Like you're saying, our persona, who we are, the information, and, and the fact that our parents put us on the internet when we were born, isn't it? Mm. Ta-da! Yeah. We've got a new My child. baby. <laughs> My baby. <laughs> and the baby's on the internet. I ought to have a right to go back and say, there's stuff that was put on the internet without my permission by mm. my parents, and I want to erase some of that. Where are we with that? Do we have those rights at all? Um, are there limits and, and so forth? Where are we with that? Because it's such an um, ever-progressing area of law, like the internet is changing on a daily basis, yeah. and hackers get better at their jobs the more you try and regulate it. Um, there are certain things that um, legislation is trying to do in terms of especially uh, protecting children and privacy protection. Um, but as the way it is with the internet, um, legislation tends to be slower than what's mm. actually happening on mm. the ground. Yeah. Mm. Again, you for me, you you have a number of arsenals. Your degree and your your, your qualifications. By the way, people will say, Trevor, what university did she go to? She went to BPP Law School in London, and it stands for. Briley, Price, and Pryor were the founders of this of this school, 
and uh, then the other university that I have problems in pronouncing the university of? University of Sussex. Yes, I can never <laughs> pronounce that. Thank you for pronouncing pronouncing for me. What's the next big thing for me, I, for you? There's the YouTuber bit. I want us to go into that because I'm a YouTuber myself. Uh-huh. Um, so what's the next big thing as far as, you're saying you're debating, do I want to love, do I want to do, do what? And yet, as I sit here, your qualifications are the future. That is ideally the next big thing for me. Um, within Africa, and even more so within Zim, we only got our data protection law in December last year. Um, data protection is such a new thing that I feel like because of my background, like why would I not take advantage of that and do data protection consultancy? So that's what I'm working on and trying to upskill myself because, um, you know, I've learned that uh, learning doesn't end at uni. No. No, apparently there's more, like daily, apparently. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to upskill in order for me to set up a consultancy for data protection and still Mm. YouTube. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Shall we go go over to YouTube? Sure. Why did you you decide to be a YouTuber? I was bored. I mean, it's a crazy thing. Yeah. it's, It's hectic. Talk to me. Why did you decide to be a YouTuber? In the beginning, I just... I was bored. I was in uni. I started when I was in uni. So I started in like 2017, Mm -hmm. 16. And I was like, oh, I think I could do this YouTube thing. And then once I started, I was like, oh, I really like it. And then I just kept on doing it. Once I started um, kind of realizing what kind of content I wanted to create, and it's a continuing journey. I'm not sure yet, but I think I've sifted out. it became even more exciting and I started seeing myself investing more time and more money into it, even though it wasn't paying me. Mm. And it, it kind of spoke to, you know, those hobbies that aren't really side hustles because mm. everyone feels like hobbies need to be side hustles these days. <laughs> no, like it's okay if I have a hobby that doesn't pay me yeah. because I love doing it. So that's why I just, I continue with the YouTube. Tash, what does it take to be a YouTuber? What do you need? What do you require? Um, Apart from your character. An iPhone. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that you just need the passion for it. Mm. You can do your first two or three videos, but to be a YouTuber, it's consistency. And you can't be consistent unless you have a passion for it. Mm. Otherwise, it feels like a chore. Mm. And sometimes it is, but it's the passion that keeps you going. Describe the passion to me. Describe the passion. It's this need to be understood and this um, realization that if I'm going through something, surely one other person is going through the same thing. And I could have millions of views. I could have 10 views, but I'm 
just happy when one person says to me, yeah, me too. It's mm. that. That's, what's, mm. that's, that's where the passion resides for me. So you're not doing this for yourself? No. So. Yes and no. Um, I think that when I get um, a sense of community, mm. there is a lot of my experiences on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, when I experience depression, when I experience loneliness, when I experience... Um, a feeling of not being good enough or not having done enough at my age mm. or all these inadequacies, there's a level of comfort that comes from putting it out there. So that's for me. That part is for me. And someone else saying, me too. That, well, the whole part is for me, really. Yeah. <laughs> it just so happens it helps other people as mm. well to feel less lonely in their experiences. Mm. And in terms of resources, uh, time and, and, and finance, how much does this pull on you? Um, in the beginning, not much. Yeah. It was me and my phone in daylight behind an open window because that's the best lighting. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then as things progressed, you want to become better at a hobby that you mm. like. And you want to create better content. You want it to be better quality. And so that's when I started investing more. But as a starting point, you really, mm. you don't need much. Mm. And um, the feedback, how has been the feedback like? You know, they, there's, I'm reminded that um, um, somebody who I can't remember says, something is what it is. Praising it doesn't change it. Criticizing it doesn't change it. It just is. Mm. What's been the response to what you're doing? In the beginning, I had in my mind that I'm going to be an influencer. Like, that's my life. That's what I'm going to do. And it really, like, changed dramatically probably in the past two years where I have no want whatsoever to be popular or to be <laughs> out there. She says, well, she's in conversation yeah. with Trevor. <laughs> because I'm scared. Um, I'm scared of negative feedback. My YouTube community to this point has been people that I've gathered over the years and I feel like understand who I am and they're kind of like, yay, you go Tash. But then there's always another side to it, right? And I'm not sure if I'm uh, as prepared for the other side, which I know is going to come. Mm. Because with growth and the thing that you love, you also have to accept that the thing is the way yeah, that it is. Yeah. But don't you think you actually need those people that are going to say, oh, that was something else, Tash. Because that is what makes you grow. Your, yeah. cheer, your cheer group, your cheering group doesn't necessarily grow you. I think that's true to a but certain you're extent. not ready for it. No, I'm never against constructive criticism. What I'm against is cyberbullying okay and it's always a very thin line so the bullying aspect is the side that i'm not prepared for because i i think um it was about what a month ago i did a video speaking about like pricing and zim and all these things it blew up oh my gosh um it blew up and the feedback i was getting was nothing related to what i was talking about <laughs> people would be like yeah and I'm like, okay. 
that aspect will come to reality. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not prepared for it, but it's part of it. Mm. So I'm getting to be prepared. Mm. You, you, you might have to decide that what people say about you is their opinion. It's none of your business. Um, when they say you're ugly or whatever, yeah. they'll say that. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's none of your business. You put out what you think you need to put out there. Yeah. Does that help? It does. And it's something I've been learning, but really slowly mm. and slower than I would like it yeah. to be. Yeah. Because it's definitely true that other people's opinions should be none of your business. But I but can't it help it. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> well... The, the Barack Obama um, said, uh, and which is something that I actually believe in, I do not read people's feedback mm. because I know who I am. I know what I said. Yeah. My, my favorite pastor said this morning, uh, T.D. Jacks, that uh, he said something that somebody caught it, took out of context, and it went viral because usually what goes viral yeah. is negative stuff. And he says, I really don't care. And that's my sense. I know what I said. I know who I am. Nobody knows me better than I know myself. So I really do not give. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to, to begin thinking along those lines. And don't go there. Because if you go there, you're going to find it. And if you find it, it's going to nag you. Yes. Nah, that is 100% true. And uh, so the, what's the big thing for the YouTube channel? What, what are you... I mean, so... You're not going to be an influencer. You have discovered that you might not be ready for the criticism. What's going to happen with this thing? I'm going to get ready for the criticism. Okay. And then I want to go back to my original content. So my main thing is facilitating conversations. That's why it's so weird being on the other side of the seat right now. I'm <laughs> like, wow, just dig into my soul. Um, <laughs> because I love having like panel debates. I love having people of different opinions mm. together and facilitating conversations they wouldn't otherwise have. So I want to go back to my doing that kind mm. of content. What conversations do you want to have? Anything that um, affects people in either my space, um, like physically, or like my space mentally, or my space age-wise, or my space, anything that affects people in a socioeconomic way that is not always discussed mm. or doesn't always have different opinions on the same table. Mm. So we... We don't take ourselves too seriously on the Zimbabwean channel. We're very laissez-faire, but we just It's a good thing. It's a yeah. Good thing. And then it's a way also for people not to realize how deep what they're discussing is. But then you kind of walk away and you're like, huh. That's I, good. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll discuss things like, you know, polyamory within Zim or um, just whether you would knowingly, like stigmas with people with HIV, would you knowingly date someone with HIV? Mm. Would you knowingly date someone who has mental health issues or who's suicidal? Things like that. So we'll discuss issues. Maybe it'll be triggered by a hot topic that's happening in the press, but to get people to delve into mm. their own misconceptions or their barriers towards connecting with other people. Mm. Fantastic. 
Let me take you to a place where um, you know viewers watching us from the diaspora, um, people thinking of going in the diaspora might benefit because you your lived experience says you came into this country and you met with us mm-hmm. and you didn't like <laughs> bits <laughs> of us. What is it that you would say we should change? as a people that you encountered and it grated against who you are? That's a good question. I um, want you to answer it. <laughs> think that, yeah, I was going to say that's a good question, then leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> like, let them marinate yeah. on it, right? <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot happening and there is a lot of noise in terms of you know, there's this happening economically, politically, socially, etc. But there's also things within our control, right? Like we can choose whether we give good service to someone. We can choose whether we go to our job and we say, I'm going to be the best at this today. There's small things, yes, and it doesn't feel like it makes much of a difference, but it does. does. Um, and I think that Something my mom always tells me, and I feel like if and when she sees, not even if, she's like my biggest fan. She's like, tell me when it comes on. When she sees this, she's going to be so happy. Um, The main thing is focusing on what you can control. Mm -hmm. That, to me, has changed my outlook on life completely. And it's made me not worry too much about everything else and all the other noise that's happening around me. Just... Take a moment and say what's within my control and focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, because listening to that clip, watching that clip that you played, I could sense the frustration. And the frustration is the one that I've, I've felt when I came back. Mm-hmm. Do you think since coming back, you have changed into who we found us to be? I have my moment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because it's not a, I don't know if it's a general blanket statement that I can put towards everyone I've experienced. Mm -hmm. Everyone is different. Um, many people will give you like the best service of your life and they'll be the friendliest. They don't call us friendly people for no reason. That's because a lot of people are. Um, and then you'll have a few who aren't. So it's always going to be different from person to person. And I think that for me, I'm different in that way as well. You, there's no blanket statement that I could fall under either. I'm not always friendly, but I have my moments. Mm. <laughs> have you changed your driving? Do you now drive like cars on the wrong side of the road? And Oh, no, 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 no. I, I never drove until I came to Zim. And? And <laughs> now I drive like a combi driver. <laughs> <laughs> so you've changed. You've become one of us. <laughs> to, to the young people that are watching them um, on both sides of the fence, those that are thinking of going into the diaspora, what would you say to them? Those that are thinking of coming back home, what would you say to them? Let's t- start with those that, those that are thinking... Let me pack my bags. It's too tough here. Let me go elsewhere. What would you say? I would say mm-hmm. the grass is not greener the mm. other side. What would you say? I would say you're young. 
take the chance. Go see for yourself. Um, because if I tell you not to, because of my experience, you'd be like, ah, no, um, if I tell you to do it and you have an ulterior experience, then it's like false advertising. Whilst you're young, take the opportunity to do all the things, take all the risks that you want to take, and then figure it out from there. Those that are wanting to come back home and they're saying, we're seeing Tash, she's on YouTube, she's having fun, she's frustrated, but it's... It's, it, we're considering it. What would you say to them? Um, be patient with your surroundings, but also with yourself. Um, you don't have to be the image that you thought you were going to be. There's no timeline as to when you're supposed to achieve or be this person. Just be the person you are in that moment and be patient with yourself. And cut yourself some slack. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of your generation, um, what view do you take about where our country is right now? I think that we, we're under a lot of pressure. Um, mentally, there's a reason why and it's been spoken about a lot recently, like on Twitter, in terms of just like the, the rate, like suicidal rates and mental health issues, the way that it's going. I feel like we're under a lot of pressure to be in a certain place or look a certain way. And outside of that, there's like social media pressure when you feel like your peers are here. Why am I not there? Um, I think that as a community, millennials, from my perspective, and I can't always speak for everyone, but those who I feel like I can speak to are feeling a little inadequate. Is it because of our society or this is a generational thing and what can be done? I think it's a bit of both. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a there's a societal aspect, but then it's, it's a generational thing as well because mm. we're not the only millennials that are going through it. Yeah. And I think that's the advantage of having lived in as many places as I have. Mm. Um, my friends from like Germany, my friends from Singapore, in different economies, which are, you know, however they are, experiencing a lot of the same feelings and insecurities and inadequacies that I feel. So it, you're not alone in that. And also that's, where, that's why I say just be patient with yourself because at some point things start to come right and enjoy, enjoy the wins. Mm. Yeah. You've spoken about your mother a number of times. You say she's your big fan. Um, she dragged you all, all across the world. What did you get the most from your mom and your dad? Oh, just like, are you trying to make me cry? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think um, tenacity. Yeah. And ambition. And above all, just kindness. Mm -hmm. yeah. She must be proud of you. She's I. Right. Well, she says I'm I. Right. Mm. <laughs> she doesn't want me to be too confident. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you've just got married. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. To him. Yeah. It, <laughs> is, has it turned out the way you expected it to be? 
Um, better. <laughs> what, don't what's tell his him name? I told what's his you. name? He's going to be watching us. I know, right? Yeah, his, his name is Jabu. Jabu. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Um, because we, like, like I told you earlier, unconventional to Zim, mm. we lived together for about three years before we got married. Mm. And whilst we were living together, and even when he asked me to marry him, I was like, oh, God, I just hope everything stays the same. Like, people are going to marriage, and they're like, and then this will change. And then he'll be like this. I'm like, just let him stay the same, Jesus. And he has. Yes. So. <laughs> fantastic. We wish you the best. Highly recommend. The people that watch this show love books, and I'm looking forward to your book recommendations. What books do you suggest we read? Um, the Bible, for oh, starters. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> As a starting point. Um, but then uh, there's this book, I can't remember who it's by, called, it's a classic, uh, Wait, Waiting for Godot. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend that book, especially for millennials right okay. now. Good. A teacher than patience. Mm. Waiting for? Godot. Godot. G-O-D-O-T. G-O-D-O-T. Okay. Any other book? Nah. Nah. I don't read for fun anymore. Really? Yeah, law ruined that for wow. me. <laughs> I find that's the case with a, a number of lawyers because there's a lot of reading that you people do hey yeah mm. and i used to love books and reading so when i can i do do you think being a youtuber has killed your reading too possibly <laughs> <laughs> i never thought about it but you might be right <laughs> you know tosh what a pleasure has been talking to you um, Honestly, really thank has. you thank you so much um learned so much from you uh, i wish you the best in a number of areas being an attorney newly married with somebody that you live with for three years, being a YouTuber, praying that that flourishes. Um, we need new conversations. We need narratives that describe us. Uh, and we need to tell our own stories. And you and I need to do that. So thank you so much. Wishing you the best and thank you, thanking you for finding the time to join me here. So thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. It was, Wonderful. It was so nice. Just beautiful. I yeah. It. Allow me to turn over to our guests who are all over the world who watch us um, uh, every Monday. We're out every Monday, 7 a.m. Central African time. To ensure that you don't miss out on any of these quality conversations, such as the one I've just had with Tash here, please click on the subscribe button and subscribe. When and if you are uh, a subscriber, you will get an alert every time we have one of these quality conversations. Remember to subscribe, to share, to like, and go on to our uh, website, convowithtrevor.com. All our content sits there. Thank you for watching. Until next time, cheers to you all.